0: Good morning. How is everybody doing today? Y'all doing well? A lot of red, white, and blue out there for uh, some reason today. Happy Fourth of July. It is wonderful uh, to be in a country where we have freedoms. And yes, I'm grateful for all the freedoms that we have, but I'm specifically grateful for the freedom to be able to gather as a church family today and to be able to worship together today. Because there are places around this world where Folks have to be undercover and have to be underground and they have to be secretive with their worship assemblies because it's against the law in some countries. So I'm grateful that we live in a nation where we can celebrate as a church family, uh, risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I'm thrilled that you're with us today. Uh, It's really uh, interesting. Fourth of July is an interesting time uh, because folks are out traveling because of the holiday and today being the holiday, and yet we also have several of you that are guests with us today, and maybe this is your first time with us, so thank you for worshiping with us, some of you here in the building, some of you online. Uh, We are thrilled that you are worshiping with us today. We would love an opportunity to get to know you better. And so Chad mentioned this a moment ago, but I would be grateful if you took a moment to fill out this connection card and you can drop it off in the offering boxes that are in the back of the room or even on your way out at one of the desks uh, at the tables uh, in the foyer. Because we want to have an opportunity just to send you an email, give you a phone call maybe and let you know what's going on in the life of our church, answer any questions you may have, and just rightly welcome you uh, to Living Hope. Uh, I'm Alan. I'm a senior pastor and one of the elders here, and I'm absolutely thrilled to be here today If I've not had a chance to meet you uh, be sure to swing by and say howdy to me on your way out the door uh, later on this morning Uh, Several of you, when you came in, you're like, Alan, I didn't think you'd be here today. Yesterday was kind of a busy day for me. I drove over to Jackson, Mississippi and back and stopped in uh, Shreveport to see some friends, but I am alive and well and well-rested, actually, and uh, excited to be able to share with you uh, God's Word this morning. We as a church family are walking through the New Testament this year. Uh, We're walking through five chapters a week, basically one chapter a day, each of the five uh, work days and and hopefully you're reading along with us or or maybe reading portions of it and uh, if you're interested where we are right now it's on the back of the sermon uh, notes the, the worship guide you can see that we're finishing up the book of Acts which is chapters 27 and 28 and then we're jumping over to Colossians 1 through 3. Um, I have almost all of Colossians underlined in my Bible because Colossians is just rich with lots of good words uh, from the Apostle Paul uh, as he shares with us about who Jesus is. I'm looking forward to preaching Colossians 1 next week which is all about... Jesus Christ and who he is. And uh, anyway, so I'm not going to preach that message this morning. I'm going to preach the one I plan. Uh, so uh, we are uh, actually jumping back into a sermon series that we did a few months ago because the book of Acts, we've kind of read different pieces and different parts and we're finishing it up this week. So we're jumping back in the middle of a, of a little series that we did on the book of Acts called You Will Be My Witnesses because the entire book of Acts is how God is calling us as followers of Jesus Christ to be his witnesses to the world. So I hope that you'll open your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 26. That's where we will be primarily this morning. As we get started, there is no doubt over the last week or two, all eyes have been on Florida. Uh, I wrote down the name of the condo because I couldn't remember it. It's Champlain Towers South Condominium in Miami. I'm sure you're aware of the tragedy that took place there. Um, I know that the count is changing all of the time and so the numbers I share may not be accurate but this is the numbers I got as of last night. uh, There are 24 bodies that have been recovered and 121 people who are still unaccounted for. There are various reports out. But some of the reports that we have seen is that apparently the basement garage had been having issues and had been getting in very bad shape over the last two, two and a half years after a report was done on that. And then also the building's concrete was deteriorating at an accelerating pace. And I don't know what all is is, is speculation and what all is factual, but we do know that building collapsed. Can you imagine that if you knew, if you had a 10-minute window where you knew the building was about to fall and you were in Miami, would you have just stood by and go, well, I kind of hope people get out? No, you would have been running up to the building. You would have hoped to be as loud as Alan Pittman so that you could yell for folks to get out of the building because you would do everything you could to rescue the people before the building actually fell, right? Any humane person and definitely any follower of Jesus Christ would want to do that. But the reality is this, as tragic as that event was, and as important as a human life is physically on this earth, we've got a bigger, more important, more urgent message to share with the world, and that is that Jesus Christ is the way for salvation, and that as bad as that destruction of that collapse of the condominium is, the collapse of our lives both figuratively here on this earth, as well as after our death, if we don't, Receive Jesus as our Savior, that other tragedy pales in comparison. But uh, sadly, all too often, pastors included, we don't take the time to share that message like we should. And so I don't want to give us a guilt trip this morning. But I do want us to look at a model of a faithful witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's the Apostle Paul. And I want us to see how Paul shared his faith, how he witnessed in every opportunity that he had. And we're going to see what it means to be a faithful witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that we can be encouraged to step out of this building and look for opportunities on a daily basis for us to tell everyone. And in the title of my message, it says, tell everyone small and great. So let's go ahead and look at this text a a little bit together. Before we dive into chapter 26, I want to let you know, I'm going to kind of start in the middle of 26 and so it may be a little confusing but maybe you'll remember this story it happens three or four times in the book of acts where paul tells his encounter with jesus christ and we see it at at the early chapters how he comes to faith in jesus when jesus appears to him on his way to damascus to kill and persecute christians And then he recounts that story several times. Well, in in chapter 26, it's the last time that he shares that story in the book of Acts. And so just know that in a minute, when I jump in in the middle of it, he's in the middle of telling his story of how Jesus changed his life. But last week, to kind of set it up last week, we looked at chapter 20. And in Acts chapter 20, we saw that Paul was on his way back to Jerusalem and that the Holy Spirit had, had kind of indicated to him, hey, Paul, trouble's coming. Like, you're going to be arrested. There's imprisonment coming. And he knew that was about to take place. And then we turn the page and we get to chapter 21. And Paul is in Jerusalem. He's at the temple. He's preaching Jesus. And he's arrested, just like the Holy Spirit said would happen. If you wanted to briefly glance at chapter 21, verse 28, here's what it says. The accusation against Paul. He's teaching everyone everywhere against the people, meaning the Jewish people, and the law, and this place, meaning the temple. Essentially, Paul was preaching the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and those that didn't like the message thought that he was preaching against their religious system and said, this guy's message must stop. They had a problem with him preaching about Jesus. And so if you looked at the next few chapters from chapter 21 to 22 to 23 to 24 to 25 you will see the whole thing unfold and I'm not going to read all of that but I'm going to tell you kind of the high points. First we see that Paul appears before the Sanhedrin which is the Jewish ruling council and then after he appears to them then we find out that there are some zealous Jews that plot to kill him and so in order for him to not be killed and for him to stand trial with the Roman authorities He is sent to a city about 60 miles away on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea called Caesarea. He's going to appear there to Felix. I just love that name. There's a couple of names in this chapter that I love. Felix and Festus. That just doesn't sound like biblical names, but that's their names and they're just kind of cute to me. But anyway, Felix is the governor of Judea. And his headquarters are in Caesarea. And so Paul appears before Felix. And Felix is unconvinced of Paul's guilt. In fact, Felix knows this is just a religious squabble. And Felix says he's not deserving of death, and I don't really know what to do with this this character at all. I know what I'll do, I'll just leave him in prison for two years. So he leaves him in prison for two years, and then at the end of those two years, there's a new governor, and this governor's name is Festus. Here's where Festus joins us. And so Paul appears to Festus, and Paul appeals to Caesar. You see, Paul's a Roman citizen, and he says, I'm I'm tired of messing with all this other stuff. If I go back to Jerusalem, they're going to kill me. If I go to Rome, I can preach the gospel in Rome. By golly, I'm going to appeal to Caesar, and so that's the appeal that he makes. And now to pick up our story, look at chapter 25. In chapter 25, verses 26 and 27, the last two verses of that chapter, by the way, I didn't mention this a minute ago, if you don't have a Bible with you and you'd like one, there should be some Bibles under your chair or near a chair near you. Grab one of those, use it. If you'd like to take it home uh, with you, be um, you know, be whatever, I can't, I can't say the word. Take it with you if you need it, all right? So uh, here's what we see in chapter 25, verses 26 and 27 that Festus decides to have Paul appeared to Agrippa. Agrippa, this is Herod Agrippa II, that name should ring a bell with you. A lot, a lot of kings in the Gospels named Herod, he's one of them. And here is the king of the Jews by the name of Herod, and, and Festus says, hey, I need your help. Look at Acts 25, 26, and 27. Here's what Festus is saying to Agrippa. He's saying, hey, this guy's already appealed to Caesar, so I'm going to send him to Caesar, but according to verse 26, I have nothing definite to write to my Lord, meaning the Caesar, uh, about him. By the way, the Caesar that Paul appeals to is Nero, okay? That's the Caesar that Paul's going to go see, Nero. He uh, says, I don't have anything to write to my Lord about him. Therefore, I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write, for it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. I don't really know what's going through Festus's mind, but I think it's this. Uh, Caesar's kind of a big deal. Uh, Caesar kind of gets a lot of things, and Caesar's probably going to want to know why I'm sending him this prisoner. And if I can't even write down what the charges are, Caesar might get mad at me, and I kind of sort of don't want Caesar to be mad at me. So he brings in Agrippa. It says, Agrippa, would you listen to this guy talk so that maybe we can put our heads together and we can write something down for Caesar to see. So look at the very next verse. Acts chapter 26, verse 1. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand, and made his defense. Now we're not going to take the time right in second. We're going to read portions of these verses in a moment. But the next 22 verses. Verses 2 through 23. Is entirely Paul's response to Agrippa. Agrippa says, Paul defend yourself. What is going on here? And Paul gives a very lengthy answer. You would think that Paul would begin to defend himself and say... Uh, Agrippa, I don't really deserve this. Like, I shouldn't even have to appeal to Caesar because I'm innocent. You should let me go. I should be free, and I didn't do anything wrong. And he could defend himself in that sense. But there's not a single word of that recorded here. Paul does not defend himself. Rather, he defends the faith. Have you heard of apologetics before? Uh, Our youth are going to be doing that on Wednesdays during the month uh, of July. And hopefully you'll read the Worship God announcement and sign your kids up for that. But apologetics are an opportunity for us to rightly defend the truth of the faith, of the gospel. That means we have to understand what the gospel is, understand what God's word has to say about certain topics. And then whenever we engage with culture or individuals in conversation, we don't argue and fight them. But instead we rightly stand up for the truth that's found in God's word. So here's Paul. Paul. Paul has a chance to defend himself, but instead of defending himself, he defends the faith. Not that the faith has to be defended, but it's giving a right explanation of the faith in order that others may see the truth of it and accept it and receive it for themselves. In other words, Paul has a chance to defend himself but instead of defending himself to the king and to the governor and to all of the royal officials that have come around them. If you look back at the end of chapter 25, it says they came in with great pomp and circumstance. It was a formal kind of big deal. And instead of Paul defending himself legally, he preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know what you're thinking. Hey, this is Paul. Like, he wrote, what, 13 books of the New Testament He's kind of a big deal, like he's the guy, he's an evangelist, he's a missionary, he's supposed to preach the gospel, but the reality is that any of us who've accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior are called to preach or testify or share or talk about the good news of Jesus Christ. So I want us to see the example that Paul lays out for us. So that we can see our need, that we have been called to be witnesses as well, so that we would go out and tell everyone around us, both great and small. Let's look at verses 6 and 8. We're in Acts chapter 26. If I, if I fail to say the chapter, we're probably still in 26. There's only a couple other places we're going to look. My throat is kind of doing something today. So let's look at verses 6 to 8. Paul says, He kind of had described how he was a a Jewish person, how he was a Pharisee, and then in verse six. And now, Agrippa, I stand here on trial because of, here's why he's on trial, because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes, talking about Israel, hope to attain, as they earnestly worship night and day, and for this hope I am accused by Jews, O king, Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? Paul says, I'm here not preaching a new religion. I'm not here starting a new thing. Rather, he points back to everything I'm preaching points back to our forefathers. Everything in the Old Testament has been leading up to this moment to see who the Messiah, Jesus Christ, is. That Jesus is the one who's been promised. Jesus is the one that's been hoped for. Jesus is the fulfillment of all things that we've been looking for. I'm not starting a new religion. I'm just helping you see that Jesus completes what has been started from the very beginning. So he's trying to find common ground with those that have Jewish background. Now, I want you to understand that the governor, Festus, and the king, Agrippa, neither one are really Jewish people. They're not Jewish by uh, by ethnicity, and they're not Jewish by religion either. However, especially Agrippa has awareness of Judaism. And so he's beginning to appeal to the fact that that. God has been pointing to a coming Messiah and that Jesus is the fulfillment of that Messiah and then in verse 8 he he says something that may seem a bit random to us because he goes well why is it a big deal that we would talk about God raising the dead here's the reason it's a big deal Paul has been preaching the gospel that Jesus is the Messiah And that part of what proves that is that he died on the cross for our sins and three days later was raised to new life, and everyone is freaking out. The Sadducees don't believe in resurrection, but the Pharisees do. Many of the Jewish people do. But the resurrection is not going to begin with some fraud or pretender like they think Jesus is. And so the fact that Paul is preaching the resurrection of Jesus is, is a problem to them. But Paul says, y'all know that resurrection is a real deal. So why do you have such a problem with this? And he begins to preach that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised one. Now, that's kind of all setting us up for where we're going this morning. Hopefully on your sermon notes on the back, you'll, you'll see the three main points we're looking at today. The first one is this, you are called to witness. And when I say you, I include myself as well. But I want us to see that it's not just Paul that's called to witness. It's helpful for us to study God's word and for us to see what happens in God's word and for us to see what Paul did. But what we don't want to do is just do a historical understanding of what Paul did and go, my goodness, we're so thankful he did that. Rather, let's see what he did and see that this same call to witness to others is extended to us as well. Perhaps you remember Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Acts 1, 8 is the starting point of this theme of you will be my witnesses. Here's what Jesus says as he's ascending into heaven, as he's talking to his disciples, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So Jesus calls all of his followers to go and be his witnesses. What I don't want you to think is in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 when Jesus says that, he's just talking to the, to the circle of people that were on the mountain that day. He's not just talking to those that were with him on that day that they're to go out and be witnesses because if that's all he was saying, then the message would stop whenever those guys died out, right? But instead, he's speaking to them directly and by extension, he's speaking to all of us that all of us that are followers of Jesus are to be witnesses. You and I are called to be a witness or one who testifies about Jesus Christ. Are you familiar with what the Greek word for witness is? It's it's the same word that we get our word martyr from. And the reason that the word martyr means witness as well as what we understand martyr to be, one who dies for their faith, is because to be a witness of Jesus Christ means that we're willing to share our faith Even to the point, if it comes to that of death. And so it's for this purpose that God encountered, uh, sorry, Jesus encountered Paul on the road to Damascus that day and Paul came to faith in Jesus. I'm going to pick up in the middle of the conversation that, that Paul is relaying that Jesus shared with him. Look down in verses 16 and 17. Jesus on the day of Paul's salvation says to Paul, rise and stand upon your feet for this I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness, we want to underline and think about that phrase, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. Delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. And I would underline or focus on that phrase, sending you. Look at those two phrases. Why is Paul saved? Why does Jesus rescue him from his sin? Not just for his benefit, but because he appointed him in verse 16 as a servant and witness. And in verse 17, the same thing. I am sending you. Yes, these words were particular to Paul. Yes, he was specifically saying the day will come when you will preach not only to the Jews but to the Gentiles. Yes, he was saying to Paul the day will come when you will appear before kings. And here he is before a king. And so yes, there's a, some specificity to the call in Paul's life. But the reality is this concept of Paul being appointed to be his, his servant and witness, you and I are appointed to that as well. This concept of Paul being sent out to tell others about Jesus is the same thing that you and I are called to as well. To be appointed as his servant and witness. When you put those two words together, then we see that there's a clear concept that Paul is to radically preach the gospel. Guys, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, he has called you. He has appointed you. He has declared you. He has commissioned you. He has called us in advance to go and preach the gospel. And this phrase, to be sent out. It's a word in the Greek Apostelo It's from the same sort of word as apostle And to be sent out We are not an apostle like the original apostles But like the original apostles We also are being sent out With the gospel message of Jesus Christ for salvation And we should go out and preach that gospel You're like, but I'm not a preacher Like, that's not my job But all followers of Jesus are to declare and testify and witness about who Jesus is. So that's essentially your call to preach the good news. So, let's look at verses 18 and 20. What is this good news that Paul shared? Verse 18, here's what he says. I'm going to preach to them that their eyes may be open so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith. And then in verse 20, it says that Paul declared or preached the gospel to those in Damascus, and then he went to Jerusalem, and then the region of Judea, and also the Gentiles. And here's what, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. So in both verse 18 and in verse 20, we see this turning from something. We see this repentance. The Greek word is metanoia, that we are to repent of our sins, turn from our sins, have a change of our mind. And Paul says, instead of turning instead of walking towards darkness, instead of walking towards what, what Satan would have us to do, instead of doing things my way, instead of following the world's wickedness, that we're to turn to Jesus Christ to see the light that's in him, to trust in him for salvation, to follow him. And what happens when a person repents of their sin? Whenever we repent of our sin, it says there in verse 18, that our sin is forgiven, and that we're giving a, given a place with the saints of God. What I want us to see in this example of Paul is that yes, you and I are called to be witnesses. And we see with Paul that he is a faithful witness of the gospel. What does it mean to be a faithful witness of the gospel? Here, here's my explanation of it. It just means to preach it. It just means to share it. It doesn't mean X number of people come to faith. It doesn't mean that some kind of result automatically happens. Rather, our faithfulness is simply our obedience to preach and share and tell the good news. Because if you read through the rest of chapter 26, you'll see that in this encounter, no one apparently trusted in Jesus for salvation. So does that mean Paul wasn't faithful? Absolutely not. He was faithful because he was preaching and sharing the good news. You and I are called to be faithful witnesses as well. If Jesus is your Savior, go and tell others about that salvation. Now, are you familiar with the rest of his story? There's an interesting phrase in this chapter when Paul tells his story. Have you heard the word goad, G-O-A-D? Like, have you heard this word? Paul is talking about how... Jesus is talking to him at this time of salvation and here's what he says to him Jesus says in verse 14 Saul Saul why are you persecuting me it is hard for you to kick against the goads that verse is always weird to me like goat I don't even know what a goat is like that's a weird word like it's not a long word it's not a word I use on a daily basis do you know what a goat is a goat is a sharp stick that they would use with oxen Whenever oxen were supposed to obey them and their commands, they had to use a goad to prod them to get them going, right? And because the oxen typically didn't like the goad poking them, instead of just responding right away, they would kick against it and try to stop it, and then they would realize real quickly it was a futile effort, and they had to give in to what that uh, master is leading them to do. And it's interesting, in my life, I don't have an oxen, I think oxen is plural. I don't have an ox and I don't have a goad, but I have something that's kind of like an ox and something that's kind of like a goat. So I'm gonna show you a picture of a little sweet dog. This is uh, our sweet dog. Um, isn't he adorable? He's cute, he's cute, he's adorable. You would think that he would be compliant to all things that I would ask him to do, right? No, he is a crazy dog puppy full of energy and very very strong we had a uh, I don't know what you do with your dogs and collars but we had a choke collar like we don't choke him with it I hope you know what a choke collar is but that didn't really manage him so we went to the pinch collar I don't know if you know what a pinch collar is or not but when I put a pinch collar on him he does so much better but the reality is he is still doing a lot of kicking against the goads like I don't know how if somebody wants to come over this afternoon and training that'd be amazing but the reality is that so many times in our lives, whenever God's trying to get our attention, doesn't matter if we have that pinch collar on or not, we're kind of like Cookie is, where we're fighting it, fighting it, fighting it. And this morning, whenever I say that you are called... To be a witness, I guarantee you many of us in this room, we are kicking against the goad, meaning we are fighting against what God is calling us to do. We're resisting what he's calling us to do. Some of you this morning, you're resisting the gospel message. You are not a follower of Jesus and yet you're kicking against the goad. You're saying I can do it my way. Like I'm a good church person. Like I'm here today. I'm listening to this guy talk forever. Surely I'm okay with God. Like God's going to weigh my stuff and my goods going to outweigh my my bad i don't want to tell a god telling me what to do there's lots of reasons you could be kicking against god this morning submit to him he knows what's best for you trust in him for salvation others of you you're kicking against the goat because you're like alan's saying we're supposed to go preach the gospel let me tell you why i can't do that let me tell you why i can't preach the gospel i mean i don't have enough time in my day like i'm all over the place i don't have enough hours in the day i can't do this you may be thinking, I don't have enough information. I'm not smart enough. I don't have all the answers to the questions. You may be saying, they may make fun of me. I, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to begin. But the reality is, let's stop kicking against the goad And let's say yes to what Jesus has called us to. And that is that we are called to be a witness. Let's go to the second point. Here's the second thing I want you to see. Look for opportunities to tell others see, Paul was constantly looking for opportunities. Here's Paul. They drag him out here. He has a chance to speak to the king. The king says, Paul, defend yourself. Paul could have begun to defend himself, but what did Paul do? In that moment, he didn't defend himself. Instead, he preached the gospel. He took advantage of that opportunity. Why did Paul appeal to Caesar? I personally think, and I don't know that it's recorded in Scripture But I personally think part of why he appealed to Caesar is because he knew that that would be his ticket to Rome and he could get to Rome and he could preach the gospel, maybe to Caesar and definitely to those in Rome. And so Paul took advantage of opportunities. We'll find out that he gets to Rome and he's in Rome and and he's under arrest and yet he's preaching the gospel to his guards that are around him. Every single opportunity Paul had, he took it as a chance to tell others about Jesus Christ. I don't know whether you grew up in church or not. I don't know what your church background is, but I know for me, growing up in a Baptist church in Texas, we had, I don't remember what night it was now, I don't know, it might have been Monday night, but we had visitation. Y'all familiar with that phrase, that, that word? There was the process that on one night a week that deacons or pastors or volunteers would gather at the church building and they would go out and visit in the community to talk to others about Jesus or maybe visit somebody that had come on Sunday morning, the prior Sunday morning. When I went on staff at a few churches early on in my ministry, we had a weekly gathering and a program to do that. hear me say there's absolutely nothing wrong with having a program where the church members gather and go out for visitation to talk, tell others about Jesus. But the reality is this, how much more effective and efficient and sincere could it be if 100% of the church looked for daily opportunities in our conversations and in our rhythm of life to tell others about Jesus? We don't have to wait for an evangelistic crusade or an evangelistic program, but rather we can do it and should do it in the context of our daily lives. It reminds me of kind of what I call teachable moments. I know that as parents, we look for teachable moments, right? Something happens and we want to pour into our kids' lives. If you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, it's talking about using uh, uh, teachable moments to pour into our kids' lives. I think in sharing our faith with others, we kind of are looking for the same thing. There are teachable moments where a friend of ours, a coworker of ours, a neighbor, where somebody does or says something that allows it us to see a bridge to begin to talk about the hope that's found in Jesus. That's what I mean by looking for every opportunity to tell others about Jesus. I want us to look at how Paul took advantage of the opportunity before King Agrippa. I'm going to read all the verses, majority of the verses. Let's look at verses nine through twenty three. And this is Paul's story. And in just a moment, I'm going to look at three sections of Paul's story, and I'll point it out in just a second. Paul says, beginning in verse 9, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And so I did that in Jerusalem. I I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And, and And I punished them often in all the synagogues, and I tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. He was going to Damascus to do that. Verse 12, in this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goats. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds and keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great. That's where I got that phrase a moment ago saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to the people and to the Gentiles. I want you to look real quickly at three parts of Paul's story. And perhaps you've heard people, when they talk about sharing your testimony or your story of faith, that it can be divided into Three categories or three subjects, and and you may even want to jot it down. Here are the three topics. First, he shares his life before Christ. Secondly, he shares how he came to Christ, and third, he shared about his life after coming to Christ. And I, we won't read the verses again, but that first section, his life before Christ, comes from verses nine through eleven. Basically, we see that Paul says, "Hey, I was zealous." I was serious about a relationship with God, and I thought that I would be right with God by persecuting and killing Christians, and I was against Jesus Christ. That's who he was before Christ. Then we get to that second section about how he came to faith in Jesus Christ, and that's in verses 12 through 18. You could describe that he says that he met Jesus unexpectedly and that everything changed. I mean, here's Paul going to Damascus to kill the followers of Jesus when Jesus shows up and changes his life, saves him, and he radically experiences changes. Paul was not looking for Jesus when Jesus appeared to him. So that's the second part of his testimony or his story. The third one is this, his life after coming to Christ. We see that in verses 19 through 23, and basically we can sum it up as he's preaching to everyone everywhere about Jesus here's what I want you to hear. As you look for opportunities to tell others about Jesus, you could potentially use the model that Paul lays out before you. Simply tell your story. It has three parts. Your life looked like something before you came to Christ. Then you met Christ and you came to him in salvation. And then your life has been changed after that. A few months ago, David Hutton Uh, Was leading a class and he shared with us this concept of a 15 second testimony. And I want you to see this on the screen. What would it look like if you took an opportunity to share your testimony in about 15 seconds? And I'll tell you what those blanks represent. With this, you would think of two words or phrases that would describe your life before meeting Jesus. Then you would think of two words or two phrases that would describe how Jesus has changed your life. So up here, this is the kind of the, the model for it, and literally you could tell your story briefly, quickly, by saying, hey, there was a time in my life when I was blank and blank. Then I met Jesus, I put my trust in him, and He made, and made him my number one in my life, and now I am blank and blank, and then finish with, do you have a story like this? And so for me, if I was doing that, the reason I, you know me, I, I'm a man of not a few words, I say a lot of words, and so instead of a word i have a phrase so this is the thing i wrote down if i were sharing a 15 second testimony i would share that before christ i used to sing about god's love for me in other words i was in church i knew what it was that god loved me and then there came a time when i realized it's not enough just to sing or talk about god's love but that i have to respond and experience his love for me also before i came to faith I had a lack of self-confidence. It's not that I have all the confidence in the world right now, but I now have turned into someone who has confidence because of Jesus. But you could real quickly look for opportunities and share your story in 15 seconds like that. Perhaps you're like, Alan, I want to share more than 15 seconds of my story. Well, great, because you really should look for opportunities to do more than that. That's just a beginning point. Perhaps you wanted to expand this 15-second testimony and do something similar to what Paul did. And you could tell in a more lengthy fashion, maybe in three to five minutes, how your life has been changed because of Jesus Christ. But I want you to hear me say this. This 15-second testimony is not the gospel. The 15-second testimony is essentially a bridge that gives you opportunity to then share the gospel. There's lots of ways to share the gospel. But here's one way I want to show on the screen to you. There are four key words that you could choose to use when sharing the gospel with others. And they're going to be on the screen right here. And I'm going to say a little something on each one of these words. But don't worry about flipping through the images on the screen, Aaron. But I want to share with you all the four words. Here are the four words. God, man, Christ, response. It begins with God. You can share with them that we are accountable to a God, to the God. He is the God who created us. It begins with him. He has a standard of perfection, and we are accountable to him. Then we switch to man. And as you talk about man, which is not just Adam, it's not just the person you're talking to, it's all of us that we have sinned, that we've sinned against God and that God will judge us. So we begin by talking about God. We point to the fact that as man or woman that we have sinned against God and will be judged accordingly. Let's look at the last two words. Christ. Here's the good news. That Christ is the answer because God has acted in Christ to save us. This is in shorthand up here. So I don't have all the details about Jesus died for our sins, but hopefully this will be a trigger to remind you to share what Christ has done. We talk about who God is and how we are held accountable, that we are humans that are sinful, the judgment is coming, but the good news is Jesus Christ and that he has provided the solution, but that we don't stop there, we then look at the response, and that is that we can experience salvation or take hold of the salvation that God is extending to us by repentance from our sin and faith in Jesus. Now, do you have to share the gospel? Say I have to share four words, and here they are. No, you can share the gospel in many, many ways, but I wanted to quickly give you the content of the gospel that you could share straight up with somebody like an outline like this, or you could use something like three circles. You could use the Roman road. You could use a lot of methods. But I'm just saying don't stop at telling your story. Instead, share the gospel and look for a response, which leads us to the third point. If you didn't get all those words that were on the screen, we'll make sure and get those on Facebook um, this weekend. You can always go back and watch the, the recording of the sermon as well. The third point is this. Boldly invite everyone to respond to the gospel. So I want you to see some key words here. Be bold. Invite a person to actually respond. And invite everyone, both small and great, Both Republican and Democrat, both light-skinned and dark-skinned, both Americans and people from other nations, both our friends and our enemies. Invite everyone to respond to the truth of the gospel. Look at how Paul does it in this account. In verses 24 through 29, you'll see him call for a response from the king and to everyone that was there, both small and great. It says this, and he was saying these things in his defense, and I'm sorry, as he was saying these, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. You're crazy, Paul. You are plumb crazy. See how Paul responds. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I'm speaking true And rational words for the king knows about these things and to him i speak boldly for i'm persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice for this has not been done in a corner king agrippa and he asks him to respond king agrippa do you believe the prophets i know that you believe he's saying the prophet said jesus was coming here he is if you claim you believe the prophets trust in this message And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I, except for these chains. Festus accused Paul of being crazy. Paul calmly responds and says, Festus, respectfully speaking, I am not crazy. I'm instead speaking the truth, and I'm speaking rational words to you. And then he became bold and looked at Agrippa and said, what are you going to do with this message today? You and I, when we share the gospel, can and should be bold in calling people to respond to the gospel as we trust in the Holy Spirit to do his work what you have to remember is it's not your job to convict the person you're talking to. So you're not going to grab them by the arm and twist it till they say yes to Jesus or until they cry uncle or mercy. But instead, you boldly share the gospel with love to them and allow the Holy Spirit to take it from there. That's exactly what Paul did. He didn't back down. He didn't go, oh, you're right, Festus. I am kind of crazy. We'll stop here. End of discussion. No, he called for a decision. i encourage you to be bold that means you may have to share your faith before you think you're ready you may have to share your faith before you think you have all the answers you may have to share your faith even if that means a person may laugh at you or reject you but just know that god is with you and you can and you should be bold in your witnessing and inviting others to respond this morning we've looked at the life of a faithful witness this faithful witness has the name of paul he wasn't perfect but he looked for every opportunity to share the gospel he did it boldly he did it kindly and graciously he did it passionately and he did it with opportunities for people to respond he did it by sharing his story And then clearly laying out the gospel. Guys, if you are a follower of Jesus, these same things I just said about Paul should apply to us. God has appointed us to be his faithful witness, sharing boldly and truthfully the claims of Jesus Christ as alone, as, as being the only way for salvation, and then calling others to consider those truths. So I want us to look at a few ways that you and I can do that. I've hopefully given you some tools today, but I want to give you some reminders. Here are some reminders. It's kind of some things I've already shared this morning and some things I want to kind of hit on to finish up this morning, and that is reminders of ways that we can tell others about Jesus or or some some truths as we tell others about Jesus, and it will be there on the screen for you. The first one is this. Look for everyday life opportunities to tell others. Everyday life. Like, you don't have to uh, say, okay, uh, Mondays from 6 to 9 p.m. is the three hours a week I'm going to tell others about Jesus. No, like, every moment of your day. A few weeks ago, David was telling us a story about how he was at uh, Discount Tire, and he was there and he was getting his tires rotated, or no, he was, he was getting a, a, a flat uh, repaired. And he's scrolling through his emails. He's doing things on his phone. The guy starts talking to him. You can ask David about this. Uh, I didn't ask permission to share it, but I'm sure he'd be fine with it. David was was looking at his phone, he's kind of going, I'd rather this guy not bother me right now. Like, I'm kind of doing things. And he's like kind of blowing the guy off. And then he heard something. I don't remember what it was, but he heard something the guy said or asked. And, And it woke David up. And he's like, you know what? I can talk about the gospel right now. And so instead of looking at his phone. He saw the opportunity. He didn't add a moment to his day. He just turned to the guy and began to lovingly share the truths of the gospel with this guy in the tire shop. You and I can and should look for everyday opportunities with people we know and people we don't know. The second thing is this. I would encourage you to use your testimony I would encourage you to use your story of salvation to be a bridge to get to God's story of the good news of Jesus Christ. Don't just polish up on some kind of testimony and think that that's your evangelistic appeal. I came to faith at age eight and jesus loves me and my life is better since then or whatever whatever your testimony is don't stop there instead see it as a very viable bridge to share the gospel here's why it's really helpful for you to tell your story because they may refute the truths of the gospel and they may try to refute your story but typically it's my experience and so i can share my experience and it's not as um like uh they're not as likely to defend themselves or push you away. They'll hear your story. And that story can soften up an opportunity for you to then tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ. The third way is this. I would encourage you to be lovingly, see the word lovingly there, lovingly persistent in telling others about Jesus. When Festus said, Paul, you are out of your mind, Paul could have pumped them brakes and stopped right there. But instead, Paul persistently pointed to Jesus, but he did it in a loving way. He didn't stand up and say, Festus, you're an idiot. No, he respectfully disagreed and said, no, I'm not speaking crazy talk here. Let me tell you why Jesus matters. I would encourage you to lovingly, persistently share the gospel. Number four. Don't take rejection personally. Just be faithful to tell the story and leave the harvest to God. And then the last one I have is be passionate, sincere, and prayerful as you share the gospel. I want you to hear the passion, sincerity, and compassion Paul has in verse 29. Paul says, Festus, I don't care if it takes a short amount of time or a long amount of time for you to come to faith. I just want to see you come to faith. Whether short or long, that phrase, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become as me. I would to God that everyone within the sound of my voice would come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as their Savior. So I prepared this message this week. I was convicted as a pastor. I have a chance at least once a week to tell the gospel. I have a captured audience. I get to tell you the gospel, but am I testifying to the good news of Jesus Christ on a daily consistent basis as God has called me to do, and I would tell you I'm not doing it as I should. If you've seen me do what I call running, it's not necessarily graceful, but it is running. If you've seen me running each morning, if I'm not careful, I've got my headphones in, I'm doing my thing, I'm running past my neighbor's houses, and I'm not thinking about, hey, is there a way I can tell them about Jesus? if I'm not careful, we live in a neighborhood where you walk down to get your mail, I can walk by those five houses right by me and sometimes I can kind of go, I don't have time to stop and talk to my neighbor. i got to keep walking. Why can't I just slow down? Why can't I just stop in that driveway and talk to my neighbor and begin to tell them about Jesus? Believe it or not, not everybody that goes to Chick-fil-A is a Christian. And so when I'm at Chick-fil-A, why can't I just slow down and look for a chance to talk to my server or whatever their official titles are at Chick-fil-A and tell him or her about Jesus? When I'm walking out of the store and someone's frustrated about an experience that took place back there, why can't I just plant some gospel seeds? When I'm at my house and I have a disagreement with Ashley or when I'm having a frustrating moment with any of the kids. By the way, this week we are only two kids in our house. It's just as loud, though, because it's the loudest two that are here. Why can't I just take a moment to plant some gospel with them? I was convicted of that. Yesterday I dropped off. Some of y'all, when you came in, you're like, Alan's here? Like, you were all over the place yesterday. Yeah, I drove 14 hours yesterday. Went to Jackson, Mississippi and back. Stopped in Shreveport. Ate at Cane's. Please don't crucify me. Some are questioning my salvation because I didn't eat at Lane's. There's no Lane's in College and There is a College Station, in, in uh, Bossier. But I, I, I was frustrated because Google Maps took me to a place in Jackson that was clearly not where I was supposed to be ta- dropping my daughter off. It was sketchy. I mean, it was. I was like, ooh, this is not a good place. And I was frustrated because I knew I had to get back on the road. And I know that my daughter at times can take my frustration and perceive that it, it might be aimed at her. I mean, it was her dance camp I was going to. Like, It was her deal, and so maybe it was her fault that that was going on. So we get there. And we, we kind of bobbled the snap a couple of times as far as where we were supposed to be on campus. And I think I got her to the right place. I told Ashley I did anyway. And so I dropped her off in the dorm. And I'm walking down the steps because I'm in a hurry. I got to get to Bozier. I got to eat at Cane's. I got to see my people. I got to drive back home. I got to preach the next morning. I had a lot of Dr. Pepper yesterday. That's how I survived. So. I I, I say goodbye to her, and I walk down the steps and to the car, and I'm looking at my phone to see what time I'm gonna get there, and I just went, you know what? I need to go back in there. I need to go back up the stairs and say, hey, Carson, I I didn't mean to direct that to you. And so I did. Doesn't make me an amazing dude. It just means that I, in that moment, let something get through my thick head And I took the extra five minutes to go because the gospel led me to go share that with her. I didn't share the gospel with her, but I demonstrated grace to her. I'm just saying to us, let us look for opportunities to love our neighbors enough to tell them about Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, we have such an amazing example in the life of Paul to share the gospel with those around us. And yet, God, I, I admit that because of our agenda, because of our plans, because of listening to the subtle voices of Satan saying we can't or we shouldn't or we're not ready or whatever the case may be, we are closing down opportunities to lovingly point others to the truth of the gospel. So Father, I pray that you would convict all of us and you'd help all of us see that we are called If we are followers of Jesus Christ, we are called and commissioned and appointed and sent to be a disciple who makes disciples by sharing the gospel with others around us. And so, Father, this morning, I pray that you would give us the boldness, give us the confidence, not in ourselves, but in you. Give us the resources and tools. Yet compel us with your love. To go out and tell others. Father, I pray that you would use us as church members, as hope group members, as D group members, as friends and ministry partners, that we would rally around one another and encourage each other and hold each other accountable and love one another to press on to the call that you've given to us. And Father, this morning, right now, in this place, I pray that if there be folks who have not trusted in Jesus for salvation, that today would be the day of salvation. Father, I pray that your will would be done in this place. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Would you stand with us? Maybe this morning you've heard this message and you need to say yes to Jesus. He is the only way of salvation. Stop trusting in your traditions stop trusting in your goodness stop trusting in your good work stop trusting in what you have done and trust in Jesus alone I'll be standing right here I would love to visit with you if you want to know what salvation is about if you want to pray to commit your life to Christ or to tell others about Jesus I'll be here you can also fill out your connection card you can pray at your seat you can pray at the altar but let's do business with God this morning